as it is in heaven. And it goes on, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and finishes. But what I want to focus on is the first, uh, the phrase there, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I heard that Kelly just finished a series on the kingdom, is that right? So good, he's set up all of this for you. I don't have to talk about the now and not yet and all of that. Kingdom means dominion. It's not so much a place as it is a relationship. When Jesus uh, got close to the cross, he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Over all the earth you reign on high. That's what we're singing there. Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, what does that mean? What is earth? Where, does it mean the globe? Yes. But I think it, all, it also means all of the places that are in the domain of our life, the domain of our existence. So, so take out the word earth there and fill in something that's more uh, relatable. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. And then that raises some questions for me because I know in my own heart there are places where I'm still resisting God's reign, where I don't want to say your will, but uh, not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's some places where I'm pushing back, and I suspect you are too. Uh, what about in our families? Uh, never, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my relationship with my kids as it is in heaven. Uh, for me, I, I have a wife and three kids who I love very much. I wish they were here with me this weekend. Very much. But my experience with marriage is like it's a big mirror, right? I didn't know how bad of a person I was until I got married. And that's not because my wife told me. Uh, it's because I didn't realize how selfish I was until I didn't want to do the dishes. But that was the right thing to do. Uh, I didn't realize what a short temper I had until I had kids. Uh, and how really how shallow that kind of reserve was. I thought, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I do church well. It's not the same as your kingdom come, your will being done in my family as it is in heaven. What about our churches? Uh, I, I've been in church life long enough to know that there are places where God is reigning powerfully in and through the body of Christ. And there are places where we're not quite there yet. Uh, and what about outside the church, the communities that we live in? And uh, I guess I always ask churches, uh, if I were to say, do you want to be more engaged with your community? You would say, yes, I hope. Um, but then I would say, what do you mean when you say community? Or rather, who do you mean? Or where do you mean? The community of the Calgary Church of Christ, are you talking about drawing a radius around the building? Maybe. How many of you had to drive more than 10 minutes to get here this morning? Okay. So I would suggest maybe the radius around the building isn't the most natural community for you, the people of the church, right? But it is, it is a community for the church because your facility is a presence here, right? So that is a community. Uh, what about, how many of you live in the suburbs? Where did the rest of you live? 
<laughs> okay. All right. If you live in the suburbs, which I've spent some time in suburbs, you might not even know all of your neighbors. So is your neighborhood your community? Yes and no. It is a community where you have a presence. Uh, I would suggest probably your primary community is first your family and then your coworkers, your friends, the church members. Uh, and that's the place where I would start to ask the question, um, what would it look like if God's kingdom came powerfully into that community and his will was done fully? So that's kind of my lens. Um, now, there's two sides to that. So we're kind of looking at a border for where is the, the border, the boundaries of God's will, where are the boundaries of the, where the kingdom is breaking in, where is it being done already and not yet. So now you, I see I've dragged that into the sermon. I see Wayne nodding. Where is it not yet being done? Uh, where does it need consummation? And I would suggest God is at work in both of those places powerfully. Uh, and we need to pay attention to both sides. Uh, not just to look critically at myself into my own heart and say, oh, what a wretched worm I am. Because that's not how God sees us. We are his beloved children. We are created in his image. He has redeemed redeemed us. He is sanctifying us. He's drawing us, us closer into union with him. And he has worked amazing things already in our lives. We have all of these, this trail of Ebenezer's behind us, right? These these rocks that say uh, a rock of help that testify to God's presence in our lives. We need to pay attention to those. We have those in our families, in our church, and in our communities as well, where God is already at work. And then there are places where it's a little rougher. We struggle with temptations. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with brokenness in our homes. We struggle with... uh, What do you struggle with in your church? We struggle... Every church I've ever been to has struggled with gossip. We struggle with racism. Uh, We struggle with uh, how to know what to do with economic inequality. And so my lens is, you know, how do we look at those places and pay attention to where God is already at work and then join him in the work? I'm not interested in being a hero for Jesus, uh, although I've I've tried that. It hasn't always gone so well. I find it much more effective to find out where Jesus, where God is already at work, and, and humbly to join in to that. So not to try to fix everything, but to pay attention a little bit more. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing would be uh, when we talk about that will, that, th- the nature of that kingdom, we might look at Jesus' inaugural sermon when he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, and he, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah. He has anointed me to what? To... I love this verse because it's, it, it breaks our molds. To evangelize the poor is what he says. To bring good news to the poor. Uh, and he's not just talking about preaching a gospel sermon and getting them to get baptized. He's, he's talking about something that's good news that the poor will recognize as good news. Uh, to proclaim release to the captives. These are prisoners of war. These are not, these are not the image there is prisoners of war. Uh, to give sight to the blind, healing. And you could take that physically. Uh, what we're doing in Japan, um, I have never laid hands on somebody and had them healed, but what we're doing in Japan is a very, in a very physical way a kind of community healing process. But also spiritually. Uh, when you, when, 
Jesus gives sight to the blind, he shows us the way. He helps us navigate life well. Uh, to proclaim relief for the oppressed. That's a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation that we should pay attention to. If there are people being crushed by the weight of others stepping on them, we, the church, better pay attention to that and advocate. Uh, and then what at the end? To, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, jubilee. This idea when all debts are released, when the land is allowed to heal, when everything that's broken, when everything that's, uh, that's kind of sold its birthright because of sin is said, you know what, not anymore. You're free to go. And this is what Jesus' mission is about. That ought to be, I think, the character of our mission. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in, and then fill in the blank, that's what it looks like. And then finally, uh, well, two things. One real quickly. Matthew 16, kind of middle of the chapter, uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give all these answers. Uh, Some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, and so on. And he says, well, what about you? And Peter, you know, who suffers from foot and mouth disease, who usually jumps out there ahead of time with the wrong answer, this time gets it right. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. This is you are the anointed king, the one chosen by God and and signified to reign over us. Not just that, you are the son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right. This hasn't been revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And what? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In Japan, where I live, there are a number of castles. And I have noticed that none of the gates of the castles are an offensive weapon. Gates do two things. They keep enemies out. They keep prisoners in. And what Jesus' vision for his church is, that we will be the ones kicking in the gates of hell, letting the light in, letting the prisoners out. That's a pretty high calling, I think. And so I get, I get to that point, get kind of excited Uh, Yeah, I want to be the hero for Jesus again, right? And then there's the throne room in Revelation. So image of, okay, this is the the not yet part. This is what we're looking forward to. Here's this throne room. John has had this vision. He's seeing um, the throne room of God. There's all these multitude on multitudes. There's this some kind of, you know, like circle of rainbow or something, you know, these... these, uh, made of gems or whatever. It's an image, right? But it's a vision. And on that, the 24 elders and then uh, the four living creatures, which are kind of it's kind of representing the, the top of God's world order, right? You've got the most elite of humans and then you have the elite of the celestial beings. And then there's this throne. And then there's call to, there's these scrolls that need to be opened, right? But there's this one scroll that no one can open and John starts to panic and he's weeping because no one under heaven and earth is, is worthy to open the scroll. And finally, one of the elders says, John, shut up. There is one. He doesn't really say shut up. That's a paraphrase. He says, don't panic, maybe would be better. Have faith. There is one. And then Jesus enters this, the, the, the vision, right? And how is he introduced Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah 
It's an image of power. It's an image of conquering the one who's leading us in to kick in the gates of hell, right? That's how he's introduced. How does he show up? The lamb that was slain. So at the top of God's world order, the very top in the place of uh, the highest, the pinnacle of power, instead of the lion, Jesus is sitting there as the slain lamb. That's the attitude, I think, that we're to adopt as we follow Christ into his mission. It's not to enter as the lions conquering. It's to enter as the lamb who conquers through surrender, who conquers through pouring out of himself. This is, this is, this is the stuff that's close to my heart, so that's what I wanted you to know.